0: Good morning. I'm Jeff Smith. Our reading this morning is from Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also the interests of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped that is a thing to be held on to for advantage but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men And being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Again, good morning and welcome to those who are here and those who are on our live stream. It is really good to be with you in person. Um, over the coming weeks, our hope is to gather again and again in person, um, weather permitting. But if it rains, we will not be gathering in person. Um, but while we're here, we're going to seek the Lord in prayer and song and scripture and together, which is one of the great gifts. Over the past couple of weeks we've been looking uh we're in a series called generous living by god's grace in a culture of scarcity and of course when we say a word like that if, if you haven't been following along online that's okay um but when i say a word like generous or generosity what comes to mind what comes to mind of course is money and what i would say about that is we have to remember something that we talked about a couple weeks ago which is what money is money is a currency and a currency is a medium of exchange of value so currency is a medium of exchange of value which means not only is money a currency but so is your time your home your family is a currency in a sense so are any relationship you have your independence can be a currency your reputation can be a currency and the thing is, you can be the sort of person who's actually generous with your money, but not in other areas of your life. You can be generous with your money, but miserly with your time. You can be the sort of person who goes to work, and when you're at work, you're just in your work. And you don't want anyone to bother you because your work is really important. And I'm sure it is, but what you're doing is you're holding on to your time as more valuable than anyone else. Your weekend could be the time that you guard and defend. You can be generous with your money and miserly with your time. Think about it too, the way we think about relationships. When you uh, get into a deeper relationship with somebody, it involves emotional um, pouring out, it involves some sort of concern and care for another person. And many of us find it easy to do that for people that we like. Because giving out emotional concern and love to people you like pays, it pays off. They give back to you in a sense. But what about for emotionally needy people, people you find difficult for whatever reason? Are you as generous with them as you are with people that are easy for you? Most of us struggle with these sorts of things. So generosity is not just about money. In the Bible, it's about so much more. Our time, our relationships, our resources, our very selves. And that's why true generosity which is what God displays to us, comes from the heart. And a heart that is filled with the generousness of God will overflow in lavish and pervasive generosity. There's not an area of our lives that is off limits to God's generous calling for us. It's out of this that I think we need to reflect on even uh, another thing we talked about in the past weeks, which is the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. So we live in a culture that every human ever has that has a scarcity mindset. It's an anxiety that there's not enough, not enough of whatever it is that we want, whether it is money or food or shelter or health or freedom or approval or love, we're desperate and we feel like there's a scarcity. But the God who created us, who loves us, who died for us, pours out his abundance on us. And he wants us to live with an abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. And of course we live in a culture, especially over the past few years in America, that is filled with a scarcity mindset. We are incredibly hostile and divided in a way that maybe we haven't been for many years. And underneath of that is often defensiveness and fear, and people lash out in anger. And it's a fear that there's not enough. There's not enough resources not enough power if i'm not in control then somebody else will be and that will mean my loss and so we have this scarcity mindset when the gospel calls us to a humility and generosity that overflows out of an abundance mindset so in philippians 2 when paul begins his section of philippians 2 he's calling the church in philippi to unity to oneness to love for one another the opposite of division and hostility And in calling them towards that unity, he describes it in verse three and four, when he says, here's what I want you to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but a humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Easy. Consider others more significant than yourselves. Now, that that doesn't mean that they are actually more valuable than you. But their experience of you should be that they feel more significant when they're in your presence. Do other people feel more significant when you're in their presence? Is that their experience of you? Consider others more significant than yourselves. In other words, what he's saying is, I want you to be people who are generous. Generous relationally, emotionally, socially, spiritually. Have a generous heart. And in this way, he says, this is already part of who you are if you're in Christ. He goes on to say, look, you have an in Christ mind. If your faith is in Christ, your mind has been renewed and transformed. And that in Christ mind is like Jesus himself who did what? He says it in verse six. Who though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is a thing to, take hold, to be held onto for advantage. And I want to hold on that for just a minute. I've, I've bounced off of this word before, but that word grasp, that's the way it's translated in the, in the version that we have here. That word grasp is a very unique word. And it comes from the idea of plunder or robbery or seizing hold of that which is yours after you've won a battle. So an enemy, uh, an army comes in and conquers a village in that ancient world, and the soldiers were allowed to take whatever they wanted. It was their plunder, their booty. They could seize whatever they wanted to grab hold of, and it was theirs by right, because they had fought and they had conquered. It's the same word that's used here, of grasping. And it's getting at something that, that M.T. Wright translated the the word this way, he called it exploiting. Jesus did not exploit his godness for his own good. He did not take hold of that which was rightfully his. Or he didn't use something for his own advantage, is the way that, that that parentheses gives it to us. He did not exploit his godness for his own gain. And so think about that for just a minute. To exploit something is to take advantage of your power or your position and to leverage it on somebody else to get something from them. You can exploit the poor, you can exploit the weak, you can exploit your position at work for your own good. We do it all the time. It's very natural. It's very human. But Jesus doesn't do that. Think about every one of the miracles that Jesus did. Were for other people. He's using his divinity, his power, for the good of others, not for himself. In fact, when he was in Nazareth, he didn't do a miracle, and it says in there because you know he was they they didn't have any faith. But think about the temptation when they did not believe who he was, because he is he's claiming to be the Messiah, and they say you're just Joseph and Mary's kid. We know who you are, and the temptation would have been to show them to bring down the lightning, to heal somebody, to curse something. He could have proven to them who he was, but he does not take advantage of his power for his own sake. It's the very thing that Satan was trying to tempt him to do in the wilderness before his ministry. You're hungry. Just take the stone and turn it into bread. What big deal is that? You're just using what is already yours for some food. Or jump off the temple. Let everyone see, and then they'll believe you. Because by your power, by the angels, you will be saved. Everyone knows that. God's not going to let you die right now. But Jesus will not take advantage of his power for his own good. He only does it for the good of others. And of course that's ultimately what happens on the cross. On the cross, everyone is mocking him, right? What are they saying? He saved others, he can't save himself. If you are the son of God, come down from there, then we'll believe in you. So could he have come down from there? Sure. It was in his power, not only to come down from the cross, but to steal the life of every person who who was mocking him, whose very existence depended on his generosity. So he could have proven to them who he was, but for the sake of all of us, he constrains his rights. What was his by rights for the good of all humanity, even the people that were mocking him and crucifying him. In a sense, Jesus exploits himself to feed the hungry, to welcome the outcast, to forgive a sinner, to confront the powerful to heal the sick, to set the possessed free. One New Testament writer put it this way, in contrast to the natural human tendency to say yes to every opportunity to exploit personal advantages of position or power for selfish purposes, Jesus said no to the exploitation of his divine position and his unlimited power for his own selfish pursuits. We take advantage of our power, our position, our rights, for our own good. Jesus never did. And that's what Paul's calling us into, to live as Jesus did. And what did Jesus go on to do? He goes on, it says, to say, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In those two verses verse seven and eight we see jesus overthrowing the values of his culture and of every culture modern culture modern western culture is an achievement and success oriented culture that's what we live in you earn things we live in a merit-based culture achieve something you deserve it you've earned it and as a result we are people who are pursuing success and gaining wealth and living off of that as one of our prime goals in life. And so we live constantly trying to prove ourselves, always climbing, always trying to achieve the next thing, always trying to make it somewhere. In the first century, they they were not an achievement, success, merit-based culture. They were a power and honor-based culture. In that power and honor-based culture, they valued people like Julius Caesar, or uh, sorry, uh, uh, yeah, Julius Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus, like Alexander the Great, they valued that sort of people who conquered and had power and exerted it. They were the ones that were honored, and the goal was to be like them. They were a status-based culture and you wanted to have position in society and a seat at the table, and the top seat at the table. But Jesus rejects the priority of place. He never takes what is His by rights. He doesn't take the place that is His as the Son of God. And He does instead the very thing that um, Old Testament writer Bruce Waltke called the very definition of the difference between righteousness and wickedness. The difference between righteousness and wickedness in the Old Testament, Waltke says, is the righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community. The wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to the advantage of themselves. Are you willing to disadvantage yourself to the advantage of others? Or rather, willing to advantage yourself? to the disadvantage of others. Jesus lives out that definition of righteousness and invites us into that same sort of freedom of life. And in that sense, Christians, I believe, Called to be the sort of people that are known for humility and generosity. Over the past couple of years, I feel like studying God's Word and listening to God's Spirit and looking at the world around us, I see those two words as ones that seem to be lacking, and I think being things that we're being called into, which is a greater and deeper humility, a more lavish and pervasive generosity. That we would be the sort of people that are marked by using our resources, our influence, our connections for the good of others and not wielding them simply for our own pleasure or self-protection. And that that will push on us in issues, issues like poverty and race and immigration and other political topics. I find that oftentimes we we respond as human beings very naturally out of a worry for self-protection, out of trying to keep our place. It's a fear that there's not enough. A fear of scarcity. And I think the gospel, Jesus himself invites us to be more generous. Generous with our position, our power, even if it means we lose. Even if it means we lose because we trust God ultimately with our security. We trust God with our future. We don't have to hold on to it tightly, grab it for ourselves, defend it tooth and nail. And so I think... What Paul wants us to do is to consider our wealth. All of our advantages, all of our resources, all of our status, anything that is a benefit that we have, not just our money, but also our education, our intelligence, our connections. You might have great people skills. You might be really good at organizing things. You might have a great family network. Your marriage, even your kids, and yes, your money. Everything that we think of as ours, is one of our wealths, And what Paul is inviting us to do, what Jesus does himself, is to not grasp those things, but find ways to empty them again and again. And really just to start with one person in one area of your life. As I was reflecting on it this week, it was uh, find one area this week, just as a practical thing, to either give, forgive, or give up. So is there an area of your life where you hold on a little tightly that you need to maybe give of your time? You're free with your money but not with your time. You're free with your, your stuff but not your emotional space or not your physical space, your home. Even with difficult and exhausting people, what do you need to give or what do you need to forgive? Who owes a debt to you? What debts do you need to cancel? What offenses do you need to let go and stop holding a grudge? Or who do you need to apologize to, confess to? you need to give, forgive, or give up? What is your currency of value? Just start by naming it. And let go of the tight grip on it, on control or security, your time, your kid's happiness, your emotional, bank very simply go to God and say help me to see what I need to be more generous with in myself now when I did that I didn't like it because I realized I need to give more to people one-on-one I find time with individuals, now don't take this the wrong way, okay? I find time with individuals to be emotionally draining for me and exhausting, but you know what I do like? I like leading a group, teaching a class, or preaching. Why? Because I'm the expert, and I get to dump on other people. But in one-on-one, it's a relational give and take that I find exhausting, and yet it's so good for me to be in that position of connecting and relating to other people. But I need to step in and give more generously in that area of my life. know that that's a part of how God shapes me and pulls me out and gives to other people through me I also need to give up give up the need to win an argument to always prove that I'm right or to explain myself to listen and learn even if the other person's wrong and they usually are but I need to at least understand them love them be present with them listen and learn to give and to give up for me is those two areas what is it for you what do you need to give give up forgive even now let the holy spirit put somebody in your head or acknowledge verbalize inside of your mind let that be god speaking to you to say this is where i need to step in this week so where do we get the resources to be this generous with our time our emotion our space, our future, our kids, our home, our family, everything. Paul says at the very beginning of this whole section, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort for love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, basically he's saying... Wait a minute, what he's not saying is this. What he's not saying is, look at Jesus. Look at how much Jesus did for you. Now, don't you feel bad about how stingy you are? Go and be kind. He does not do that. If you're simply feeling bad as we talk about this, that will not get you to what God wants for you. You will not be generous enough, deep enough, long enough, pervasively enough. You need to realize how wealthy you are. And that's what Paul is trying to get at in that very first verse of Philippians 2. You know, if you are worth $10 billion, billion billion, what is giving away $15,000? Not much, right? It's pretty easy. You could write checks for $15,000 all day long. The story of the unmerciful servant, the parable of the unmerciful servant, is just that exact differentiation. It is one servant who owed $10 billion to the king, and the king said, I forgive you. And then he goes and finds a friend of his who owed him $15,000, and he has him beaten and thrown in jail for for not paying the $15,000. And the king says, I forgave you $10 billion, and you can't forgive $15,000? Paul is saying we need to realize how rich we are in Christ. God did not hold back his own son, but graciously gave him up for us. How will he not also graciously give us all things, all things we truly need, the resources we need, the hope we need, the love we need, the future we need. We are children of God, loved by God, forgiven already, heirs of eternity. We are billionaires in all the things we truly need and he invites us to empty ourselves because we are full so lastly last thing i want to hit on is these two words that are in here that i want us to uh, look at one is the word conceit in verse three paul says do not be uh do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit That word conceit is a a Greek word that's combining two words, kino and doxia. Doxia is from doxology or doxa. It means glory. Kino means empty. So the word glory, we've talked about it before, is actually means weightiness or heaviness, significance, lastingness, the immovable mover. A gigantic cargo ship in, um, in the Suez Canal, it has glory. A tugboat doesn't. Glory is weightiness, mattering, having lasting significance. And Paul is saying we very often live our lives with an empty glory. It is building our significance on our achievements, our influence, our reputation, our record. It's always going to be an empty glory. It is weightless. It cannot last. It cannot satisfy. It does not fill. It's a baseless glory that comes from very often taking ourselves too seriously. Do you ever feel slighted, snubbed, or disrespected? Needing credit, needing to be right? Yes. Afraid of losing your place, being forgotten? Afraid of losing your influence or your security? We're building our lives on things that can't last anyhow and empty glory in complete opposite of that is what jesus does in verse 7 jesus empties himself and it's the verb form of that word empty it is echinoso so instead of kinodoxia jesus echinoso's himself jesus who had all glory he was the fullness of glory and he empties himself so that we we who are searching for glory everywhere can be filled by him. Go to Jesus, go to Jesus, go to Jesus and be filled. Let him fill you, remind you of his love for you, remind you how much he has given for you. To the extent that we find our filling in Christ, we will truly walk in that lavish, pervasive, deep, generous hearted generosity, let's pray. This morning, Lord Jesus, remind us how much we are loved. Fill us by your spirit to sense and see and taste the depth of your love for us. And as we rest in your generous abundance, May we live not out of fear or a scarcity mindset for anything that we value, but freely give of ourselves, time, our heart, our energy, to be people who give as you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.